DNR College Football Report. Randy Heights, Reeves Mitchell, Dave Myrick. Pleased to be joined by Matt Merchell. He writes for the Orlando Sentinel, covers the UCF Knights. Matt, thanks for taking some time today, man. No problem. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no worries, Matt. Of course, we got a matchup in Norman, Oklahoma. Takes on UCF 11 o'clock on Owen Field. What are your thoughts about about the game? I know that Coach Malzahn said that John Reese Plumley will start. Kind of reading the room, am I seeing it right that the fan base for UCF is kind of like uh, has a little doubt about that, if that's the right call? I, you know, I, a little doubt. It's just the idea of I, I think they want to make sure he's 100%. You know, I mean, it, uh, you know, Malzahn, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, they, they threw John Rice out there against Kansas, and he obviously wasn't 100% in that game. Only lasted about 10 offensive snaps. Uh, felt funny in his knee and, and went to the sideline and basically had to be, you know, kind of examined again, and, and they decided that maybe it was best to let him, you know, kind of sit it out and let Timmy McClain step back in and, and play. But, um, you know, they feel he's been medically cleared to play, obviously, and, you know, they feel like he's, he's going to be back. And even though no one will actually say it 100% totally, um, they feel like he's, he's gonna ready to go and be ready to, to take on, uh, you know, Oklahoma this weekend. Hey, Matt, you know, it may have not been the year so far that Central Florida was expecting joining the conference the first year, but all the new teams seem to have been struggling a little bit. Plumlee being out, of course, is a big part of that. What do you think, Central Florida, as far as do you feel like this program is up to speed in the Big 12 and the injury with Plumlee is kind of what's caused the slow start in the conference? Or is this a program that's going to take a couple of years to catch up to the rest of the Big 12? You know, I think it's going to take a couple of years. I think Plum, obviously Plumlee's injury doesn't help things. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that they would have won, but, you know, you look at that Baylor game when they're up by 29, maybe, you know, things are different. Plumlee's in there. You know, that game ends up being a win. Same sort of thing in Kansas State. They were in that game late in the game, late third quarter. Maybe they've got an opportunity to come back there. But against Kansas, there was no chance. I mean, you know, Kansas was obviously the, more, the better team. I think some of that goes to the fact that this is a, a team – that's going to have to build its offensive and defensive lines and really kind of work on getting them up to speed in a sense of size, weight, you know, being bigger, uh, bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, that's something that was a concern. I think for all the new teams going into a power five league is, you know, how do you match up in the trenches? That's where really I think you've seen some of these teams that are able to kind of, you know, push, push around UCF defense, especially in, in the run game. And I think that's where they're going to have to take a year or two maybe to recruit better, to go out and, and do better in the in, in strength and weight conditioning um, and finding guys maybe in the transfer portal who could step up and be ready to play. They've got good caliber players on both offense and defensive line. But again, I, I think what we've seen so far from the Big 12 is a lot of these, these, these lines are, are, are bigger and stronger and right now they're pushing UCF to keep that to Hey, Matt. Reeves Mitchell here. Um, through three weeks of conference play, your guys' defense has not been very strong, giving up over 35 points in every game. What's the biggest thing on defense you would say they need to improve heading into this week if, you know, they want to have a chance to hang with this Oklahoma team? Well, I think, you know, they've got to stop the run. I mean, that's, that's one thing. And I know Oklahoma's more of a pass-based and they seem to put up big numbers in the passing game, but it all starts with the running game. And they got to stop the run. I mean, they haven't been able to do that at all. Um, they, were, they were embarrassed against, against Kansas. I mean, Kansas ran all over them. So they've got to find a way to stop the run. I also think they've got to find a way to finish games. You know, they've been in games where, you know, maybe things have been close late you know, in the third or start of the fourth quarter, and then they just ran out of gas in the fourth quarter. And I think some of that is, is you know, like I mentioned, you know, the, the, the depth situation. Um, they've got some guys coming back. Ricky Barber's coming back. He's going to be huge for them. He's one of the top uh, defensive tackles in the league. You know, they need the guys who are able to kind of get penetration 
be disruptive, you know, uh, force teams to maybe get out of their comfort zone a little bit. They haven't been able to do that over the last couple of weeks. And I think if they can get back to that, uh, I think that's going to help them out a little bit, especially against a guy like Dylan Gabriel, who we know can not only throw the ball, but can get out of the pocket and run a little bit. They need to make sure they contain him and, and don't let him kind of use his feet to kind of take advantage of situations where maybe some plays break down later on in the game. Matt Merchell of the Orlando Sentinel. Matt, uh, you guys do have a good rushing attack. The two running backs I've noticed jump off the page very good. I think both are averaging over five yards a carry. Talk about the matchup with Oklahoma's front seven that has been stingy pretty much the entire year against the run. How do you, how do you kind of see that matchup shaping up? Yeah, that, that's going to be crucial for, for UCF. they got to get the ball. they got to be able to run the football. I mean, that, that's kind of what Gus Malzahn's bread and butter is. You know, he wants, to, he wants to be a running team and they mix in the passing game obviously with play action or RPO. Um, RJ Harvey's had a great year. You know, he's been the main starter of the backfield. Johnny Richardson is, is really an explosive type back. They love to bring him in every so often um, to, you know, provide that kind of, he's a different type of runner than Harvey. He can provide explosive plays. He's also is he in, in the kicking game. So they need to mix in the run. They need to be able to run the football. They need to be able to get maybe three, four, five, six yards on first down. And then that kind of opens up the passing game a little bit. You know, I mean, they obviously want to be able to, to get the ball to their, their, their speedy receivers. But if you're bringing a guy like John Rice Plumley, and if you're concerned about that knee and you're concerned about whether or not he's going to be as mobile as he was before that injury, you know, then, then obviously running the football without him is, is going to be crucial. And then because I'm not sure how much he's going to run. I mean, they just never indicated whether or not they're going to pull back on some of the running plays when it comes to John Rice or whether they're going to kind of mix it up. So I think they need to run the football. And then I think they also need to take shots down the field. I mean, that's something that, that they talked about when, they brought in, uh, you know, um, Darren Henshaw to be their new offensive coordinator, is they need to push the ball down the field. That eventually then opens up the, the front line and allows you to maybe run the football a little bit. Hey, Matt, you mentioned Dylan Gabriel earlier and what he brings to this Oklahoma offense. I'm not sure if you were there why Dylan was at UCF, but if you were, what have you seen maybe in some of the maturity and growth, what you've seen out of Dylan this year from what he was when he was at Central Florida? You know, I, I think for Dylan, I mean, I, I just think you're seeing, you mentioned that you're, you're seeing maturity, you know, from him. I mean, I was here when he got, when he got here and he came in as a freshman and, you know, he wasn't even supposed to start that season, you know, back in 2019, it was supposed to be Brandon Winbush, you know, a transfer from Notre Dame and Winbush played the first game and then Dylan came in the second game and that was it. It was all Dylan Gabriel's team. And there's a lot of pressure put on a freshman, two freshmen to come in and be a starting quarterback, you know, and, and play week in and week out. And I think, you know, Dylan did his best and was able to, do a lot of good things. Um, you know, he also was dealing with the fact that he was a long way from home, you know, obviously from Hawaii. Um, he had the luxury of having Mackenzie Milton here on the team who was coming back from an injury and Milton's mother, uh, you know, welcomed them and, and they used to have dinners together all the time, kind of help them make, they got feel homesick. So that kind of helped that process. But as he went along over the years, you know, he just got better and better physically. And I think you've seen that maturity. I think what I've seen over the last two years at Oklahoma is he's taken that next step and he's able to, to, to stand in the pocket He's able not to really kind of feel like, you know, any, any force of pressure that he's going to take off running. He wants to find his receivers. He wants to do his check down. He wants to make sure he gets the right read. I think that's the biggest thing I've noticed. Some of that's also being routine with Jeff Levy. That was one of the things that Jeff Levy did a good job with in the offense here at the UCF. And I think Gabriel's been able to kind of grow and mature with that as well. Matt, when people mention UCF, nationally they tend to go back to the 2017 year when UCF claimed the national championship and you don't have to give your opinion on that whole ordeal but I was just wondering has that put the program and maybe a tad bit of unrealistic expectations the last few years or how has the fan base handled you know the prior years since that 
you know, I, I think they've, they've handled it well. There's obviously going to be some parts of the fan base that, that want every year to be a 11-12 win season, you know, and it's just it's just not going to happen. You know, I think obviously the 2017 season was, was a big part of putting UCF really on the map nationally. I think you're hearing a lot of people talk about more about UCF and know where UCF is than they did, you know, back in 2013 when they went out and beat Baylor in, in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, it really kind of put them on the map. And it set the table really for them to get into the Big 12. And, you know, 2018 was a great year. 2019 was good as well. But, you know, you go through the COVID year, Jeff Malzahn gets here. You know, they made some changes. Obviously, the transfer portal has, has taken its impact on, on both sides of the football. Um, they're still a good program, and I think they're still continuing to push forward. They're having the resources they need. They're trying to get the resources they need to be uh, competitive in the Big 12. Um, but, the, yeah, there are some of the fan base who, you know, you lose a couple games and all of a sudden it's fire fire your head coach or get rid of this coordinator or get rid of, you know, this, this quarterback. I mean, that, that just, I think that comes with any fan base. And I think whether it's realistic or not, I mean, I never thought UCF this season was going to be better than maybe an 8-14. I mean, you know, because I felt like they were going to have some growing pains going into the Big 12, being in the Power 5. So, to me, this is not – having three losses doesn't not – at this point, doesn't make me think, okay, this is a horrible year. But there are some who wanted – who believed that they were going to come in and, and contend right away. And I, I just think that's a, that was just unrealistic at this point. But most, for, for most part, the fan base has understood this is going to take a little bit of a process to get to where they need to be. Matt, talk about the uh, the Big 12, in your opinion. I, I know that Oklahoma and Texas jumped to the SEC next year. You, now you're kind of getting a taste of what this league is like top to bottom. You've kind of seen some more teams that they're, they're going to bring in and, and join with UCF and the rest of the league. Well, what are your thoughts on the league as a whole after this season and kind of where UCF you know fits in? Well, I think the league has just gotten so much better. I mean, you think about where it was you know, two years ago even, you know, where there was kind of shaky footing and what was this league going to be like and Texas and Oklahoma and announced they're leaving and all of a sudden people were wondering what's going to happen. Then Brett Yormark comes in and all of a sudden you start adding these pieces. You added UCF and, and Houston and Cincinnati and BYU and then now you're going to add you know Arizona, Arizona State, Utah and Colorado. I mean the league has just gotten better and stronger and I think the one thing about it that stood out to me this year especially is you're seeing some, some, some good parity and some good teams out there. I mean week in and week out you think okay the third best team is going to be, let's say, Kansas State. It's going to be Kansas. It's going to be, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, something happens. West Virginia comes out strong, and, and you're seeing better play out, out of, you know, Oklahoma State recently or Iowa State. So I think this league is, is, is showing that it can, it can surprise some people. It's not just these two dominant teams and that's it. I think everyone else is going to do that. And I think that's going to be the challenge going forward is, you know, having this league making being entertaining. You know, we saw what the Pac-12 did this year. It would be great if you're the Big 12 to have three, four, five ranked teams next year and be able to compete uh, week in and week out and, and, and draw those television eyes. I think that would be huge for this league. And I think that's the intent for, for Brett Yornak. So I think UCF got on, the, on, on a great timing to get in when they did. I think the same thing for Houston and Cincinnati and BYU. I think this all ends up helping them out in the long run and makes their programs a lot better. Hey, Matt, you mentioned a couple of years away maybe from this program being able to be where they want to be at. And you mentioned recruiting in the portal What's it been like, maybe a transition from where, how are they looking, I guess what I was going to say, recruiting, and how are they prepared to play in the portal game now going from being a mid-major to being one of the Power Five conference schools? Have you seen a difference in the attitude and the way they're approaching recruiting this year, Matt? Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, the, the Big 12 has helped immensely. I mean, they've got, I think, the number, they're ranked in the top 30 in, in a recruiting class. That's the highest they've ever been ranked. I mean, and a lot of that is, is Gus Malzahn in the Big 12. He's going in and telling, 
telling these athletes, especially here in the state of Florida, where you had for years, you had guys just leaving. If you weren't a, a five-star player who was committed to, let's say, a Florida or Florida State, you got these guys leaving. They were going out of state to, you know, the Ohio State and the Alabamas and the Texans. Now, all of a sudden, you've got, you know, a, a school like UCF saying, we're in the Big 12, we're going to play every week against, you know, these, these top programs. And the kids are wanting to stay and they want to play for, you know, for UCF. So they've done a great job. They've got nine four-stars right now in this, in this 2024 class, which is the most they've ever had. Um, they continue to recruit really well, not only the state, but here in Orlando. I mean, Orlando's got a good, you know, uh, pocket of recruiting talent. And they've been able to keep a lot of those kids there as well. And I think the other thing that Gus has done really well through the transfer portal is he said, okay, we may not get you in high school recruiting, but we're going to get you the next time that you're thinking about leaving somewhere else. So he goes to a lot of these kids and he's, He's grabbed guys who are maybe spent a couple of years at an SEC school or maybe at a Pac-12 school or maybe, you know, at an ACC school. And he says, come to UCF and, you, and you'll be able to play for us. And I think that's been huge for them. I think he's also realized, listen, the portal is about getting guys who are, you know, 21, 22, 23, let's say, and who really are looking to make that, you know, to finish out their careers. This is a business decision. And I think that's where he's brought in a lot of these guys. Now, some of them have fit really well and some of them haven't. And I think that's just anything that happens with the transfer portal. But I think as they move forward, I think it's going to be a huge part of what they want to do if they rebuild their roster, just to build it up and, and make it as solid as, as, as they've done in the past. Matt, last thing for me here. Uh, can we get a brief maybe score prediction for Saturday? Wh- which way are you leaning on this one? Ooh, I mean, I, I'm, uh, I, I think, I'm definitely going to go wins, obviously. I, I think it's – but, you know, do I think it's it, – it could get ugly. I mean, it depends on, on if, if UCF can remain healthy. I mean, they've been banged up so much. They feel like they got a lot of these guys coming back. But, um, you know, what we saw against Kansas was something you rarely see. But Oklahoma's offense is just at a, a different level. So um, if everyone stays healthy, it may be able to keep it closer. But I, I think, you know, Oklahoma looks like a team right now that is locked in and ready to go. Yeah, Matt. Well, uh, we're, we're going to watch it, and I, I'm kind of with you. I think that the, the first half will dictate a lot. Might be a little bit more uh, enter- entertaining than people think. Oklahoma coming off a bye week, sometimes that's hard to to refocus yeah. and kind of get back in the groove. So, yeah, we'll definitely watch and see what happens. But, Matt, you've been fantastic. Matt Rochelle with the Orlando Sentinel. Matt, uh, if you want to tell people where to find you, where to look, anything you got, you got going on. Yeah, you can go to orlandosentinel.com, or you can follow me on uh, Twitter, X, whatever. At OS Matter Um lots of stuff with uh, you know, obviously John Rice told me detailing his rehab process, getting back, you know, analysis piece today, looking at can they put out the negative noise that they've had the last couple of weeks and just moving forward. So it's gonna it's gonna be a fun time. I'm, it's my first time, first trip to Oklahoma, so I'm looking forward to it. Matt Michelle with the Orlando Sentinel. This is Dave Meyer, Grandy Heights, Reeves, Mitchell DNR College Football Report, brought to you by Hurley R V. Hey, Matt. Thanks a lot, man. Always great having you on. Thanks. I appreciate it. And uh, anytime you need anything, let me know. Will do. Thanks, Thanks. Matt. See you, bud. All right. Take care. Okay. Let's stop that and save that. Welcome back into the DNR College Football Report. That was Matt Merchell, writes for the Orlando Sentinel, talking about the UCF Knights coming to Norman Saturday, 11 o'clock, Owen Field. He, uh, guys, had had an interesting take that the Big 12 top to bottom is better with without Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, kind of caught me off guard. Not sure if I agree with that, Mr. Heights. Uh, I'm not going to say interesting. I'm going to say wrong. I mean, <laughs> and I don't mean that mean because Matt was great and, did, you know, it's great insight on UCF. But I, we were just talking off the air. But it, it, if you say here and can say this team is or this conference is better without them, that's trying to look too much in the positive light. 
I'm not going to say it's a bad conference. It's not going to be a bad conference. It's, I think it'll be more balanced. If you want to say, hey, it's more balanced next year than it was this year or any of the years past for the most part because there's not those two superior programs. And really, let's be honest, the superior program in Oklahoma, when you look at how many Big 12 titles yes. they won, yes. you know, there's not that one team out there. So if you want to say that, 100% on board. But you made the point, Dave, when we were off the air. They've at least had playoff contenders year in and year out. And, yes, TCU went and won the first playoff game in the Big 12. But we see how fast it takes them to drop back down. There's no one else in this conference right now that it's stepped up and proven, hey, we can be that playoff contender. And then that following year, follow it up with still being a playoff contender. And so that's where I say they're taking a hit losing Oklahoma and losing Texas. Now I think Utah will be good next year. Colorado, I think we all agree that Dion's going to get some talent in there and they're going to be improved. But at the same time, they don't have that solid bell cow program to say this conference is better. Guys, they call them blue bloods for a reason. That's because they are consistently good, consistently win, and consistently challenge for championships. That Oklahoma and Texas has given this league, Oklahoma, a lot more than Texas. <laughs> yeah. Randy, and that's like, not being mean. No, it's just facts, guys. I mean, yeah, go pull up the Big 12 championships. You'll see one team predominantly carry the league. Playoff appearances, BCS title game appearances. Heisman I Trophy mean, winners. Yeah, it, I mean, they, it's not – bragging it's no. just stating facts they, they've carried the league they've been and the league is losing that and they're not replacing it with something on the same level yeah it's a lot more wide open in this new big 12 format but and you guys bring up the point of the 12 team playoff next year so i mean they will have a chance with one or two teams i would say getting into that 12 team well, I mean, playoff but it doesn't the champion's gonna make it right? yeah no. but it, it just doesn't seem like there's a true national title contender in this new big 12 that's what I start to worry about for the future of this conference. Yeah, it's one thing. You know, if you're an OU fan listening, you're not going to have to worry about it. OSU fans, different story. Uh, let's talk OSU, guys, because I thought, look, that's a couple, Head weeks scratcher right a, a couple weeks in a row, I think, that yeah, they're starting to play like a good football team. I mean, it. Kansas, to me, was still the better team. Mm -hmm. Okay, we all agree on that. But they oh, opened the door for them. I mean, they oh, did. I mean, when you look at that game, you're right, Dave. Kansas played better. They got down in a hole 14-0, come back, have the lead late, and just it seemed like they started tripping over their own feet. Oklahoma State had something to do with that. Definitely the defense played a little better down the stretch. Mm -hmm. But, guys, I don't know what to make out of this Oklahoma State team. And what's funny is when you follow along with Oklahoma State fans, you can tell their fan base is really confused. They're excited, rightfully so. They played pretty well for two weeks in a row hey i got a text they're text, confused. From, text from a buddy osu buddy that said 10 and 2 here we come so yeah they're confused but also a little uh excited i got a text from an osu buddy saying if bowman had started this whole year they'd be 5 and 0 oh. and ranked in the top 10 oh well that's that's our osu brethren guys hey god love them they're uh they won they beat kansas they beat the better team uh randy Wright, osu had some things to do with that <laughs> but I don't know. Bowman, yeah, Ollie Gordon to me is their best overall player. I think they've started to, to realize that, and they're getting Gordon the ball, and good things are happening. Well, and I think, guys, and Reeves, I'll get your thoughts on this as well. I think for Oklahoma State to continue this run, A, you ride Ollie Gordon. B, that offensive line, they didn't just fix everything by deciding to run. I mean, is it more to do with who they were playing the last couple of weeks, that they were able to impose their will when they get to play maybe somebody with a better defensive mm -hmm. line? Are they able to run the game, run the ball, and then do we see Bowman actually open it up where they can then 
be able to run again. That That's the key. There's some things to watch with Oklahoma State. You have to feel good about the direction they're headed. But to go overboard saying, A, they would have been 10-2, and two, B, they would have been, they'll be 5-0, and oh, I, I think you got to, you know, kind of pause and breathe. And if you're an Oklahoma State fan, just enjoy that you've seen improvement and they're better right now. No doubt. Because it looked like they were the worst team in the Big 12 three weeks ago. Yeah, I will say the the defense had its struggles on Saturday for Oklahoma State, but it did bow its neck when it needed to, definitely in that fourth quarter, creating some turnovers, some fourth down stops, stuff like that. But, guys, their rush defense has really improved, and a big reason on our pick on my pick Kansas in this game is, man, looking at that South Alabama game like three weeks ago, they were able to run it all over them, and Kansas has two really solid running backs. But then you look at this game, I mean, 13 carries for their starter for only 66, and then eight carries for their backup for 25. So, I mean, OSU's figuring it out in the trenches to a certain extent, but guys, that secondary still needs work, and I think Justin Bean had five touchdown passes within that third quarter. Well, and yeah. I, I think the difference real fast, Dave, I don't know if they figured out the trenches. I'm going to be dead honest with you here. As far as the defense did do a good job in the running game, but they sold out a lot. Like, basically, which I would have done too. Yeah. Hey, we know they can run the ball. The way they're going to beat us is by running the ball. So was the secondary that bad, or was it just like, hey, we're putting you guys out on an island because the one thing that's not going to beat us is the running game. Guys, I'll say this too. They fell down 14 nothing. It's hard to just consistently mm-hmm. stick with your run game when that happens. So that's I think that's why we saw Bean have a big day too. Yeah, I would agree. And a lot of the long passes, I mean, they disguised the tight end kind of, and OSU just wasn't picking up the tight end, and he would just run free over the seam for a long touchdown. I think that happened twice. So definitely some things they have to shore up in the passing attack. But I'm with you, Randy. I mean, I think they were selling out for the run the majority of the game. They wanted to say, hey, I mean, if KU's going to beat us, it's going to be this backup quarterback throwing five, six touchdowns. And, guys, he got to five <laughs> touchdowns. But Oklahoma State was able to do enough in the end to come out on top of this one. Defense needs some work, Reeves, top to bottom. I mean, yeah, they sold that to stop the run. They got up on Kansas to where, like I say, they couldn't just rely on that run game. But they relied on the pass, and mm-hmm. LSU really didn't stop that either. They had, look, call it like it is. They got some lucky breaks to win the game. Yeah, I, I mean, and they caused those breaks, some of them. I mean, that's where I give credit for Oklahoma State, and that's what I like. And I think that's why last week when we were doing the pick I really wanted to pick Oklahoma State because I've seen Mike Gundy have a lot of success, right? He's always found a way to win games. But with what we had seen earlier in the year, I kind of said we needed, I needed at least one more week to go. All right, maybe they have found something. And so I think they maybe have found something in the old Mike Gundy adage of, Maybe stubbing your toe a couple of times, but then finding it late in the year. It looks like this is that same type of Mike Gundy team. We'll know more this week. We'll know more in the next couple of weeks. But it does look like they've right righted the ship to be at least a decent team. Well, and that's to your point. If you're an OSU fan, just enjoy this. Because, yeah, two weeks ago, we thought this was the dead last team in the Big 12. We lose to Iowa State, but Iowa State. Uh, where's I Iowa mean, State, guys? My God. I mean, they guys, might be this three. conference is so similar to each other. They might We've be three. have been saying this for weeks I now. I think they're three. Did I not say last week they might be three? Because I, I picked it. I was like, I. It's weird, dude. Uh, well, yeah. I think OSU plays in the biggest game in the Big 12 this weekend, going to Morgantown, 2.30 on ESPN to face the Mountaineers. And, guys, oh. bad loss for West Virginia last <laughs> week. But we still believe, you know, they could be a decent team, too. That defense is good, and they muddy games up. They really didn't do it versus Houston. But playing at home is a different story. So I'm excited to see how OSU comes out in that game because 
West Virginia, man, they need to win that game. That's a game they cannot afford to drop at home if they really want to make a push for that third-best team in the conference. Never discount Neil Brown. He's never out of <laughs> never. the fight. Hey, Even. guys, I-, I told you this already. Last week, I see West Virginia scored the touchdown with 13 <laughs> seconds to go. It's late. Got a kid. I'm like, I'm going to go take a shower. And, I get, and all of a sudden, you guys are texting Neil Brown. I'm like, what are y'all talking about? He won. Randy, you know? we were up in <laughs> studio. We, we may or may not had a little little game going there in the second half, and we were very happy, you right, that West Virginia got the touchdown, and we were hooping and hollering, and that ended very fast, same as it did for I, I mean, I was like, what? What? I had to go watch SportsCenter <laughs> after I got out of the shower. Like, did that? What are they talking about? I uh, couldn't believe it. And, and to be honest, the call that got them into range was a BS Big 12 official call. No doubt. No he doubt. waved at the crowd. Yep. Yep, no doubt. How many and players have we seen do that for Oklahoma, for Oklahoma State at certain times? You wave at the crowd. Yeah, and I'm not. Why is that unsportsmanlike? I don't want to insinuate. This is why OSC won on Saturday, but two really questionable yes. calls in that fourth quarter as well. A personal foul on KU's running back, yes. Neal, with, which Lance Leipold, the coach, did not like. And then the second call was the last fourth down. He thought OSC was offsides on the sack, but. You know, that was a split second. But at least those type of calls I can live with. You know, that's within the game. You know, judgment call by the ref. Waving at the crowd. He didn't wave, like, get up in the Houston's player's face and wave at him. You know, if that would have been it, totally on board with it. You know, that's taunting. That's... You're waving at the fans. I think that was a sympathy call. They knew I, what they knew. West Virginia just won, right? So we're gonna flag it, and it turned out to have. I a think huge he had impact. money on the game. That also also could happen. I'm like, give Houston credit for throwing the 15 yard out route. Yep, got yeah. it on yeah. range. Nine seconds left. Texas did the same thing for OU, yeah, and did. I know they didn't complete the hail mary, but it's the thing you have to do. I mean, teams are learning that just get the ball to midfield, and man, you have a chance to catch this Hail Mary. Well, let's talk about why they didn't, guys. A coaching aspect with v- both these teams. Oklahoma faced the exact same scenario in the Cotton Bowl. Don't Key, understand. Key Lawrence goes up and bats the ball down, ends it. West Virginia tries to intercept it. You are told not to do that because of what we saw, and I'll be damned, that's what happens. Hey, and, and if you want to know the difference, Oklahoma, if Key Lawrence, and I don't know, I mean, because you still have to catch the ball. If Key Lawrence doesn't knock that ball down, if you watch the replay of the game, yes. if he lets tries to catch and it goes off his hands and it goes forward, Sanders is right there at the yep. goal line. That's why they teach guys, go up, don't do anything, but slam the ball down like you're spiking it. And that was the difference in the game for Oklahoma. Or not the difference, but you get what I'm saying. Yep. If you try to intercept it and it bounces off your hands, Sanders is wide open. That's exactly like you mentioned. Houston doesn't, or West Virginia doesn't knock it down. Goes off their hands. Guess what? Oh, here's a receiver. I'll take it. Thank you. Neil Brown. Another thing I noticed between those two plays, Tech's quarterback at all the time, or sorry, not Tech's quarterback, the Tech transfer quarterback to Houston, Smith, he had all the time in the world to throw that ball. No pressure being applied at all. No hit on him after the play. Nothing. If you look at Quinn Ewers throwing the Cotton Bowl, P.J. Adebore does affect that throw. And he still got it to the end zone. But, man, I think that's so important just – Hitting the quarterback from his blind side on a play like that. Reeves, that ball had a higher arc in the Cotton Bowl. Oh, it did. Very high arc. Because of that hit, yeah, it's definitely because of the hit. I I still like to see a team be aggressive, though, in that spot. I do, too. I I don't like to see him rush three and give the guy a perfect platform to throw from. Our man, PJ, off the edge made a difference. And what's weird is you're right. It made that ball have a higher arc and a higher completion percentage, possibly. Doesn't happen, though. But, uh, yeah, jumping, that was a crazy game, West Virginia. But... No, I mean, guys, and let's jump around real fast. One other thing, because I know we're going to have a prediction show later on this week, but Houston plays Texas this week. Yep. Dominic Smith, 
looks really good. He does. They're not going to beat Texas. No. I'm not saying that. But they're going to make, coming off a bye, you mentioned it with our interview, just like Oklahoma with Plumlee coming back, you could get a slow start. Let me tell you, that Smith kid is one heck of an athlete. He reminds me a lot of what's his name, the quarterback they had a couple of years ago. That yes, Ken Norman. You know, transferred to Miami. You know, very athletic, can throw, yep. can run. If you're not awake, you, all of a sudden Texas could look up and be going, oh, crap, we're down 10 nothing. What, what's going on? Because Houston will be fired up in that game yeah, coming I off mean, that win. What quarterback really, are we thinking of? Greg Ward? Ward. Yeah, Ward. That's I could not think. Yep. The kid that transferred to Miami, yeah. A really good athlete. So, I mean, that's one thing if you're Houston – I mean, you're going to have a new coach next year, i got a feeling, yeah. unless things really turn around. <laughs> but if he can stay there, because I think he's a junior, you feel pretty good about the direction of where that offense can handle, no matter who your head coach is. Did you guys have a chance to see that Houston versus Texas opening spread? Did not. What yeah. is it? 24 and a half oh. to the Longhorns. Oh. I actually might take the 24 and a half. I hate teams. <laughs> Just like, I don't know if I bet on Oklahoma I this week. Coming off a bye. Even though they've covered. I hate teams off a bye because – you never know what you're going to get, especially Oklahoma coming off a big win. I know they had a week to celebrate yes. and enjoy it. Texas coming off an emotional loss. Does it take them a little while to kind of get their feet on? And go, you know what? We're better than Houston. Randy Reeves asked Ethan. We were at practice last night. He asked Ethan Downs, is it a challenge coming off a bye to keep the edge? I was shocked because Ethan said, yeah. They, they, yeah, it is. He admitted it. Mm-hmm. Tell me, yeah, what we're talking about. It's real. These guys have to get back in the groove. They have to, you know, recapture the edge. Coming off a huge emotional win that they've been told how great they are for two weeks. I'm right there with you. It might be a slow start for both teams. He has the right mindset, though, in that quote. I mean, I was glad he was honest about it, but he finishes the quote by saying, you know, we focus on going 1-0 and every week. We want to treat every week like our Super Bowl. And I know that's very cliche to say, you know, OU's, OU's obviously not treating UCF like the biggest game on their schedule, guys. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Watch OU DNA. Seriously, I, yeah. I watch it. It's very interesting. Now, granted, you got to get that through the head and just hearing speak is one thing. That coaching staff, I will say this, I always think the one and O thing, I'm like, whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. If there's one thing, the coaching staff, at least on those videos, make sure every game is important. They For don't sure. look ahead. They don't talk ahead. I'm not going to say they treat it like a Super Bowl, but they treat it like it's a big game week I mean, in and week every out. Player we've, to every State. player we've talked to has said they've already moved on from that Texas game. Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think no were... player has said, we're still thinking about that game. You know, I'm still reliving how awesome that game was. No, no every player has said we have moved on from that, and we know we may face these guys down the road again. Hey, I can say this much. I think the bye week, as much as we're sitting here saying Texas may get a slow start, Oklahoma may get a slow start, I think in the end, the bye week was the best thing for both these schools. You know, it gives them a week to, A, if you won, if you're Texas or Oklahoma, which Oklahoma won this time, gives you a week to kind of enjoy the moment yep. and then get refocused. If you're Texas, it gives you time to kick your dog for a few days and then bounce back and go, you know what, we're, it, Texas believes it. Hey, we're better than them. Let's get refocused and let's go face them in December. So, I mean, I think the bye week was perfect time for both schools. Well, both teams can heal up. They got guys nicked up. I mean, to your point, though, about the coaches trying to get it through the guy's head that each week is 1-0, I think this OU team has the leadership in the locker room, more importantly than the coaches. I think they've got guys at the right mm-hmm. spot, veterans, your Danny Stutzmans, your Ethan Downs to step up and, and keep that message. I think that's what, what they've lacked the last few years. But, no, I think Oklahoma is fully locked in. They're in a good place mentally. They lose Andrew Anthony, a big blow to that wide receiving core, but they 
they got guys to step up. You know, overall pretty healthy going in. Matower's going to miss some time. I'm not sure how much that impacts some guys. Uh, I like the people behind him. Um, but, you know, they're, they're in a good spot moving forward. Texas, yeah, you're right. They think they're better. Think what you want. You know, I was there. I saw it. I saw OU play a, like I said, C-plus to be B-minus game and beat you. So uh, if I'm OU, I'm not real afraid of Texas, you know, a rematch, Reeves. And Gus Malzahn breaking the news yesterday morning during his press conference that uh, John Rice Plumley, their starting quarterback, is going to play for the first time since week two, said he's nearing 100%. And, guys, to be honest with you, I'm very excited that OU gets to face this quarterback. I mean, best dual threat we've faced this year, if you think about it? Yeah, yeah I'd say so. Probably. I mean, Quinn Ewer's not really he's a dual not a threat. Dual threat yeah. uh, since he's quarterback, not uh, – well, Emory Jones, yeah. he's a dual threat. But, but still, Plumlee's the best. I, mean, I would say Plumlee's the best, yeah. So I'm excited I mean, to see. Emory Jones is not a dual threat. If Plumlee's really healthy. If, if you want to call Emory's dual threat being he has two legs, because yeah. that that's about the <laughs> dual threat that he's got. I mean, yeah. But I, I, I think it's encouraging that Oklahoma gets to face a guy like this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's only going to help. You know, you, you don't want to face backups week in, week out, and then at the end of your schedule have to face a stud, you know, starting quarterback. No, let's face the best guys. This team is saying they're the best, so let's go out and prove it versus the best. Yeah, and I, I still have questions about his health. I mean, you get on for sure. and check the message boards and Twitter. A lot of fans are going, huh? He, he shouldn't be playing, let alone starting. Yeah. So I'm really curious how that plays out. But you're right. they got a good rushing attack. That, you know, you'll see him in Norman. The front seven for Oklahoma, to me, has been a very pleasant surprise. With I mean, the Malzahn's were... wording was interesting because he said nearing 100%. Yeah. He didn't say he's going to be 100% yeah. on Saturday. He said nearing. It, so. might, it might be one of those things he's saying one thing and going to do another. And Gus, yeah. tri- Tricky Gus, I know that's one of Randy's favorite oh, yeah. high school coaches out another, there. But Another great one. <laughs> Trying to keep OU on their heels. I, I, I didn't want to ask Matt who's going to be the next head coach, but I'm taking that all the time. I'm like, whew. Well, I know there's some high schools out there that'll love to have Gus if that happens, Randy. He can be an offensive coordinator. Yeah. There's another guy. We, let's jump around a little bit. There's another guy out there I think that could be an awesome offensive coordinator if that's what he would do. Lincoln Riley yeah. at USC. Uh, although, it, I tell you what, what was weird, Alex Grant's on defense wasn't the problem against Notre Dame. It was Lincoln Riley's hey. offense and Caleb Williams in particular. Hey, guys, I said it last week. I'll say it again for two weeks in a row. I'm not making out the defense to be good. The defense has not been the problem for USC the last two weeks. Mm-mm. I mean, has it been great against Arizona? No. But at the same time, they were at, what, 30 points, 28 points at the end of regulation against Arizona when it went to overtime. If you had asked any USC fan and probably even Oklahoma fan three years ago when they were here, you would have taken 28 because of how the offense and Caleb Williams would perform. Last week, Caleb Williams turns the ball over. I said it earlier this week to someone. There is a disconnect somewhere in that locker room, and I think it's Caleb Williams is disconnected from Lincoln Riley. When you see that post-game press conference at Notre Dame, I saw it a couple of weeks ago when, you know, the reporters were almost badgering Riley about the defense. Who comes to the defense of the defense? Caleb Williams, not Lincoln Riley. You know, there is something going on in that locker room, and I say that thing may go out and just crush Utah this week. But there is something going on in there that – doesn't feel right from the outside looking in. Let me say this. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me no, say God. this about that. Everybody discounting Lincoln Riley, and look, I don't like the guy personally. I'll say this. When he's given up a midseason loss as a head coach, don't discount the guy or his team moving forward. I would agree. He always knows how to turn this offense around, especially after a bad game. I mean, that's usually when you count on Lincoln the most. I mean, 
when has he really had two horrific games on offense in a row? Not many times in his career. So he has right now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the Arizona game wasn't horrific, but it was, it was pretty, pretty bad. bad. It was pretty bad. You go back and, and look at Caleb's numbers. He was running yeah. for those. Scores. It's not what we're used to. Yeah. Put it that way. And I will just say, I mean, if you have a lackluster defense, and I'm not saying the defense was the problem, but we all know it's a lackluster defense over there in Southern Cal. If you're turning the ball over, if you're giving Notre Dame short fields, that that loses you the game already. I'm sorry. How many times in that game did USC not help their defense out on offense? Uh, giving Notre Dame the ball in plus territory, and then your defense is already tired. They have to go back out there, yeah. and Notre Dame just ran it down their throat. Well, and they have no, you know, the expectation that the offense is going to carry their weight when they mm-hmm. see the quarterback repeatedly turn the ball. That was just, I don't know, Caleb Williams is not the same guy we've seen the last few years. Well, right I was going to say, if you have a Caleb Williams Heisman ticket from Vegas, if you need to start a fire this no weekend, doubt. you can use that for kindling because that's out the door. Well, he I was your was preseason, a, preseason pick, wasn't he? No, no, no. Remember, I didn't really have one. I, I gave you three. <laughs> I, uh, I'll admit, I gave you Joe Milton and somebody else. But, yeah, which is out the window, too. But let me just tell you, that's why I say there's a disconnect. Because what we saw from him early in the year, Uh, it's not what we're seeing. And it doesn't mean it can't be fixed. There's just something going on in that program. When you watch that offense, they're almost bickering with each other. mm -hmm. You know, they're not, you know, we we talked off the air about Sanders, you know, tweeting at halftime, which I'm sure someone was doing that for him. They're not even doing that. You can't look and go, hey, they're not focused. You know, USC's doing social media, working on NIL deals at halftime. There's something going on. I don't know if they lose this week just simply for the fact, I don't guess Cam Rising is ever playing again. Yeah, no, you know, I mean, weird. if Cam Rising is playing this week, I'm 100% taking Utah. I've said all along USC has three to four losses this year. They're still going to get up to three. Utah will make it four if, if they beat them this week. Yeah, and guys, I you might have turned the game off because Notre Dame was putting the whooping on them mm. at the end of that game. I mean, it got up to 30, 40 points difference in that game but i don't know if you saw the scoop and score late in that game oh yeah yes. the throw out to mario williams i mean did he not just look lackluster on that play did he not just look like yeah. he wasn't even trying guys really? there's something going on the, the, in los angeles i but. mean i think that team gave up on saturday and rightfully so they were down by 30 but still not a good look uh, from the but skill they looked players like they gave up before the game yeah, started that yeah. was my problem i've got to say even if it was that point you don't give up you're a d1 football player playing at southern cal you know the mecca of college football i mean guys. he just easily got that ball stripped and then didn't even try to make the tackle well you get that many characters on one team stayed in baseball well yeah he was a good baseball still is a good baseball player but all right, enough on Lincoln. Look, he's going to do what he does. I'm with you, Randy. I think Washington, Oregon pummels USC this oh, yeah. year. Um, Which, that was a hell of a game. Guys, I took Oregon in the pick I think you did too, Randy. Yeah. And they had it. Look, I'm a Dan Lanning guy. I've, I've liked him from his time back as co-DC at Georgia with Glenn Schumann. I, I was kind of hopeful when things – well, I won't get into that, but I'll say I like the guy. That being said, he gave that game away. I mean, it was stupid mm-hmm. decisions. I, I dig going for it, fourth down. You make it, you win. And I, yeah. like, I like that aggressive. But, man, take points when you got them. I tend to disagree, Todd. I I think he was going by his script the whole game, and he he stuck to it he going did. for those fourth downs. And, man, if they convert that last one, they probably win the game. Now, taking points in a big game like that, you make a serious and a valid point there because every point is valuable in a game like that mm-hmm. for sure. I, I didn't mind it as as many people did on Twitter. I know a lot of people were getting under landing skin and stuff like that, but I didn't mind it as much because, man, he went for every fourth down in that game. Some went well, some didn't, but I just thought he was sticking to his script. Now, 
you could argue it both ways. I tend to agree with them more, but it's an interesting discussion for sure. To be honest, I think the scripts are killing college coaches, the young ones. I really do. It's like, to me, don't look at a script. Watch a game. Yep. What's happening for you? Hey, nine times out of ten, I go for it on fourth down in these situations. But guess what? In this game, we've struggled the last three times on second down running the same play. Why do I feel like on fourth down? You know, it's like, go with the hunch. Go with what your gut. I feel like so many analytical guys yeah. now have taken the common sense knowledge that you used to see out of coaches going, hey, this is the right play. This isn't for-. I mean, look at the Monday night game. Yep. You know, San Diego. I mean, yep. that guy takes every fourth down attempt as well. well Staley's you know? horrible. Staley, yeah. Staley is horrible. But he's an analytical guy. He's the one that looks at but the do numbers. You, do you think it was analytics for Lanning's decisions on Saturday? Or do you think it, it was more of a gut? I, I, I need to go for this on fourth to I, win the game. Because I think it was more analytical because to Dave's point, and, you know, I'm with you, Reeves. A lot of times, go for it and end the game that way. But there's something to be said to be putting points on the board and just putting that pressure on an opponent, you know. And that's why I'm like, you, you take the points, in my opinion, especially when you've done some things that haven't worked out for you. You know, that drive wasn't seamless all the way down there. You know, no. it's like, it's like, take the points. That that should be a guarantee. The points are a guarantee. Well, if Getting they, they kick the gone. field goal before half, and then yeah. I think coming out of half, uh, it's they win the game, guys. And that they, one I disagree with. I, I disagree with the one before half. Well, halftime. I mean, then you're not in a spot in the fourth where yeah. you have to go for it to win it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he gets there. Look, if he's analytical, here's what I'll say about that. Do both. Use some common sense. Mm-hmm. Follow your script to a point. And but maybe they do, but it just doesn't feel that. It doesn't. Yeah, don't just do it because it's written down. Right. The, the I will lead. say I, <clears throat> I credit him late in the game, and they didn't up end up winning but it was a big third and two they ran the ball up the middle got stuffed but if you look right before dan lanning got that timeout with one second left changed the play they were able to convert that and when i was watching the game at that point i was like dan lanning just won them the game with that timeout Mm -hmm. but you know then you get to the crucial fourth down later and they don't get it and washington ends up scoring so there's always another decision to make in guys in games like this. Guys. I, I think he thought, kind of thought, what we did that Penix and Washington was going to score no matter where yeah. they got the ball in the field. If you punt them down to the twenty, awesome. It's going to take them maybe one more play. I love the decision to go for it to end the game. And a lot I of do. people were saying Washington scored too quickly on the last drive. You can make a case for it. I mean, if they hit the field goal, they hit the field goal. That's that's another point. Yeah. If they hit it, where it's this is irrelevant. No, no doubt. I mean, it was interesting, guys. I will say this: they're great offenses. But I don't know if the defenses were as good as I thought they were. They're I think really these good. are two really, really good offenses, yeah. two really good quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, but it's kind of one of those. They're more susceptible. I really thought Oregon was pretty much kind of a stone wall. Just because, let's go back to Colorado. I mean, yeah. that offense for Colorado is really, really good. Regardless of what we want to say with what happened to them on Friday night, that offense is good for Colorado. Oregon shut it mm-hmm. down. You know, and so that's where I'm like, okay, Maybe I bought in too much with what they did against Colorado as far as not giving anything up offensively, and I expected a little bit more of them, and that's the reason I thought they were the better team because they'd played a high, high potent offense and shut it down. I agree. You I'll, know, that's I'll say, my only I, thing. I just I think Penix and those wide receivers they're really got, good. They're really and yeah, oh, look, guys, Penix I think is the best quarterback in the country. Agreed. Guys. Heisman Trophy. That's candidate. fair. I, I would say I think Washington has the best receiver core in the nation. Yeah, I can't mm-hmm. disagree, guys. And look, even when you get to a national championship game with, say, like Clemson and Alabama or Georgia-Bama, those have tremendous defenses, athletes. Those games are still up in the 42 to 45 right. range. Good offenses and good quarterbacks are tough to stop. I think that's what we saw Saturday. I'm with you, Randy. I thought that Lanning's defense was a little bit more stout, but I've got a, a profound more you know respect for Penix and Washington now. Yeah. I agree. I 
I was impressed with Oregon's defense and points in that game. Guys, how do you not win after that fourth down stop oh, in the red zone? I mean, I know. before that, I'd lean over to my dad. We were watching the game together, and I said, this is if they stop him here, it's going to remind me awfully a lot of OU in the Cotton Bowl with that four, you know, those four down stops. And they really did it to a T. They stopped him on all four downs, and then you still can and go win the game after that. I mean, the offense just needed a little bit more. And Bo Nix, a really good quarterback, guys, but I thought Penix just outshined him in the end. He did. Yeah. Let's just call it, it was just a great college football game. It was. It really you know, is. It, it's, it's what it's all about. And That's gonna, not a game where you walk away and say, Oh, uh, this team's not as good as we thought. No, no. no. both teams look really, really good. Really both really good. are really good teams, yeah. uh, and that's stuff I'm going to miss out of the Pac-12, by the way, next year. But uh, anyway, uh, jumping around, let's go back to the Big 12. Iowa State is making a very strong case for the third best team in the league, guys. What is going on? <laughs> I mean, I jokingly said it last week. You know, I kind of meant it, but I kind of didn't mean it because you're like, seriously, this team could barely score against Ohio. They're you not know, the third best team, Randy. I mean, and they went and they controlled Cincinnati. I mean, they weren't up big a half, but, you know, they had a good lead. They I mean, Cincinnati's not any good. No, but, but I'm just saying, they went and controlled they it. They did. We say they're not any good. This is an Iowa State team that couldn't score in a half against Ohio. Cincinnati's better than Ohio. Was was Beck the quarterback in that game? Yeah, he's okay. been the quarterback all year long. So he's just catching a rhythm. Yeah, there. he's. I mean, the offense, it's just like I said. A couple of weeks ago, when they played Oklahoma, that was the first game they showed a sign of life yes. with a pulse you know, offensively. And then they went and capitalized, and they beat Oklahoma State the next week. And TCU. TCU, and now Cincinnati. And, and you're right, Cincinnati's not any good, but at the same time, we had national people even telling us last week, or two weeks ago, Cincinnati's defensive line is as good as Texas's starting defensive line. Right. The depth is where it kills them. Okay, what happened last week? Because Briggs played, Corleone played. It it just blows my mind with what Campbell has done at Iowa State. Well, they're the third best team, you know. It's no surprise. This it's going to change every week. But <laughs> it is. I think we started to undervalue nationally Matt Campbell as a coach just a little bit. Guys, I mean, what he's been able to yes. do at Iowa State is remarkable. I know he's had some bad years mixed in there. Guys, that is not an easy job. No. You guys know this playing the big 12 all these years it's never been an easy job he's built it from the ground up and even some iowa state fans on twitter you know earlier in this year is matt campbell the right guy on this twitter or that? in person yeah in person yeah. too he, he went after a oh, fan the fan yelling at him i, I know that fan was an iowa I, fan i hadn't seen that since norman and texas basketball coach with Chris you know, Beard. maybe that was the moment that just fired matt campbell up and oh, he's a good coach guys i, I think hey, he's a solid coach. what he's done at iowa state you're right not an easy place i just to play. want to know is he we'll know how smart he is if he ends up winning seven games this year, games, if he's at Iowa State next year, the guy's a flat-out moron. Or he's just really bought in. He's no, a he's cyclone. A for, no, no he's, he's a moron. He is a whiner. I, mean, I can't stand if he wants to, the If he wants to get a statue outside of Jack Trice, then let him. At this rate, if he wins seven or eight games with this team, he should get a statue. Build because, it, guys. I mean, I, I'm being honest. and I'm not making fun of me. But it's hard to win there. We've it all is. said it. If you win seven or eight this year, I don't care what you've got returning in young guys. The NIL is out there. The portal is out there. If you're Matt Campbell, you get out because you never know. Beck's looked pretty good the last year. What team decides, hey, you know what? Beck to be a good quarterback for us. Let's go see if he'd leave Iowa State. You know, if I'm Matt Campbell, I get an offer. I am out the you're door. Di- you're discounting the cyclone loyalty, or these guys are just cyclones. For and their life. fans are nuts. I will give you it's yeah. a loyalty. Yeah. yeah. And guys, I know. 
our guy BV down in Norman is no doubt the front runner to win coach of the year in the Big 12 at this point in the season. But guys, I mean, Matt Campbell has to be at least considered with all of these gambling scandals preseason, oh, losing Matt, their quarterback, yeah. there, losing guess. their running back, losing their best receiver, guys. Well, Remarkable job by him. And, and let's be honest, he's up there too because we've talked about how bad the Big 12 is. Outside of BV, Sark, mm-hmm. Campbell's the only other one. Everyone else is somewhat underachieved. I mean... Look around the conference. Joey McGuire's definitely not. Dave Aranda's not. Nope. Dana Holgerson's not. Lance Leipold, no, not anymore after not last anymore. week. No. And, and the one thing I will give Leipold a pass for, you haven't had your starting quarterback. As good as Bean is, and I said it, and he's he's the best backup quarterback in the Big 12, bar none. Randy, talk a little bit about those rumors you've been hearing about Jaden Daniels. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was last week. I mean, who knows if there's any foundation to it. We were talking about it with the morning show here. Eddie and Ryan, you know, people, there were like underlying rumors that he hasn't played four games this year. He could redshirt. He could then find a home somewhere else next year with NIL. Some rumors are out there, and I think this is Kansas fans that are worried they're going to lose Leopold. Is it Leopold setting him out, and then he transfers, he gets a job at Michigan State, and, and he follows He follows suit. I mean, there's literally no foundation to these rumors. Why, why would he do that? This is one of the Money. better Kansas teams of Money. all. Why not be the quarterback for that, what Money. they had coming in? Well, right now they don't have the NIL. I mean, like, they've got NIL money, but it's just But, like I mean, if it's season. a serious injury, too, he's not going to risk his NFL career over well, this season. I don't know no. if he's got an NFL career, being honest. Uh, yeah, but he either. thinks he does. Maybe yeah, a wide receiver. But, I, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. You're right. He does I mean, he'll be undrafted signed yeah. for sure. But my thing is, why do that? I mean, you see what these people get NIL. Yes. You know, the enthusiasm that's going to be behind, let's say it's, let's say it's Leopold, or not even that. Let's just say he's looking at the Michigan State job out there, and somebody's going to get that job. They're going to need a quarterback. That fan base is going to be excited. All of a sudden, he transfers there. Yeah. He makes $1.2 million to be the quarterback at Michigan State. And, I mean, he's still probably making some NIL this season. He is, huh? yeah. 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 I mean, it's not going away. I just I don't get it. You know, they had so much hype, and it's they're finally back to competitive, and they got a good offensive line. And I just I don't know. I well, hate that aspect of this how, college. How about this? And I'll give it. The injuries were legit. First, they lose a game or two. Why is truly out hurt? Right then. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, sh-, you know, it's like you said. Yeah. They're the best team. Blah blah blah. But they're not going to win the Big Twelve. They're not going to be in that spot. All right. Nothing Even if he redshirts just this year, to come back next year to Kansas right. and be the starter because he thinks. Texas is gone. Oklahoma's gone. I come back. We can run this conference. Yeah. Let's. All right. Now I want to get to something else. Let's stay in the state of Kansas, but let's talk Kansas State because I thought they made a a switch last week against Reeves' mortal lock of the week, the Texas Tech Red Raiders. I thought they made a switch at quarterback that moving forward makes them a very dangerous team because Will Howard was not what we thought he was. This freshman quarterback looked very good on the road. Yeah, I'm going to take my L on that one. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and take my L on that one. Uh, I will say Tech's backup quarterback, who I actually like, I think he's a good player. He got hurt in that game, but guys, Kansas State dominated it from front to finish. They they didn't lose because that guy got hurt. Um, first, I want to say Texas Tech is not what I thought they were. I mean, we thought they were. We, I mean, no, they're what they thought they were. We were sold to Billy Goods. Th- this is normal Texas Tech, but man, coming off last year, just. The expectations were there, and this conference yeah. is mid, and I could see them making a push for that third-best team. But, guys, four losses already for Joey McGuire. Big 12 runs through Lubbock. Boys. Ooh, it's bad. And then what I'll say about K-State is that backup quarterback, If I mean, if you look at the stats, he didn't throw it much. No, he oh, no. Run. Five rushing touchdowns, I believe, and they're all in the second half. That, that was the thing that shocked me because, look, I'm not a coach. I don't watch film, and I know there's not a ton of film out on this kid. 
when he played at Oklahoma State, you know, he came in a few times and ran the ball here and there. And what was the other game I watched? He, he played in. You can tell he almost looked scared to throw. I'm like, how is Texas Tech not just going? Yeah. Hey, guys, see that guy? I don't care. You go cover the receivers one-on-one. Everyone else just watch him and the running backs. Clyman, That's it. Clyman's offense, though. That's what it is. Yep. Quarterback, he, power, he, run game. He finishes eight for nine throwing. So, okay. obviously, they weren't very confident in him throwing. The completion center percentage was good, but not a high volume there on the attempts. Did he have any picks? No, no picks. Eight see? for nine, 77 yards. But then you go to the rushes, 12 for 91, five touchdowns. I mean, guys, he's just the prototypical QB power, K-State yep. QB, when you get to the 10-yard line, you can run that play three times, and he's going to get in one of them. And he doesn't beat you with turnovers. Will Howard has been doing that this yeah, year. Yeah, no doubt. And, and honestly, Howard's been hurt. I mean, we know this. I saw it. You know, he was limping around. Missouri. The, in the Missouri game. Yeah. yeah. You know, so maybe that's part of it, but he hasn't thrown the ball. It's been, you know, it's like Kansas State's struggling, you know, and, and it's – that was a big win for them. That was a big moment for them. Yeah, I think that makes them dangerous, that quarterback switch. I really do. I've got Kansas State friends that are all gung-ho now. Same as OSU, guys, because after OU Texas, it's very mid, very down to the bottom. Well, I saw that Chris Kleinman and his media availability listed Will Howard and Johnson, the backup, as co-starters. So hmm. Kind of an interesting wrinkle going into this week. I expect them both to play. I don't think they're going to completely give up on Will Howard, no. you know, no. especially I mean, what he's, he's done. For the, yeah. He is the more balanced quarterback. You know, he's not had a good season. I don't think they're going to give up on him, but you got to believe this Johnson kid is going to play a ton moving forward. I hey. think I think he's their starter. I think they'll have some packages for yeah. Will Howard. I would agree. you got to go with that kid. He's your starter. Right? How about this, agree. guys? The rest of their schedule is bad as Kansas State is, and I think they're bad. They get TCU this week, bad. Houston the next week. Now they do have Texas after that. Okay. But then it's Baylor, Kansas, and Iowa State. Ooh. Where's that Texas game? Austin. It's in Austin. I mean, but think about that. Kansas State could lose one game the rest of the way out yeah. and not be a good team. Uh, outside of OU and Texas, who is? I mean, I, I like Iowa State. I like what they're doing with Becht. I think they had a lot of guys back on defense. But he, by, guy for guy, you could tell they didn't match up with OU. Not no, even no, close. No, no, no. Not, not even close. close. I mean, look, after OU and Texas, it's a gigantic gap, guys, mm-hmm. to a very bad league. A very, they're all clustered together. It's going to make it fun to watch. Impossible to pick down the stretch. But uh, let's let's jump back to Norman, Oklahoma. UCF and Gus Malzahn, uh, you know, Gus always has a couple trick plays up his sleeve. He'll have some stuff in the rushing game, I'm sure, that Oklahoma hasn't seen on film yet this year. Uh, John Rice Plumley is a very good, very serviceable quarterback, the best dual threat they've seen. So some stuff on paper, I think, could challenge Oklahoma initially, and like we pointed to, that they might be a little hungover, a little flat coming off a bye. So intriguing first quarter in Norman regardless. Yeah, no doubt. I think that that's the deal. When you look at it, it's going to be how this team gets started. If Oklahoma comes out and they start fast, game's over. Yep. All of a sudden, if they kind of sleepwalk through that first quarter, the typical bye week, second, you know, first quarter, it, it could be an interesting game if Plumlee's healthy, if the defense isn't on, you know, point. All because right. to be honest, we've said this defense has improved, and it is. There were numbers I heard today that were outrageous on how, how good this defense has improved from last year. But it's not like they're superstars. So if they take anything lightly, it's going to be a ball game, especially in that first half. I just don't see a lot of things that UCF matches up well against Oklahoma this week. The, you know, the one thing I would hang my hat on if I'm a UCF supporter is Oklahoma coming off that bye week. Right. And the week before, you're playing Texas in a – down to the wire game, took all of your energy, you know, you're focused on that. But at the same time, 
guys, I mean, UCF, they're, they don't really sling it down the field. Their backup was a decent thrower down the field, but Plumlee's more of a runner, guys. So, I mean, that kind of plays into OU's strength. Dave, you talked about the two good running backs they have. That plays into OU's strength. I mean, OU's played a lot of good running backs so far this year. Jonathan Brooks had the most success, but I would say that Texas O-line is the best they're going to face all year. So, Guys, I just he, – he said it. Matt Marshall said it talking. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a couple of years for UCF to get there, and I'll tell you why. I watched them play Kansas, and they were dominated on the line of scrimmage on both. Mm-hmm. They, they, they don't have the personnel yet to compete in this league. Oklahoma is a mismatch for them in the trenches. That's where it matters. I think Oklahoma has the leadership in the locker room to keep them full, full board ahead, you know, on point. Not hungover. I think they're in a great place mentally. I think the fan base is really stoked after that Texas win. No, I don't think it's going to be much of a game in Norman or Andy. No, I don't. I mean, I think Oklahoma comes out and controls this game. I, I've not been impressed with UCF all year long. And to be honest, if you were impressed with them, the dagger through the heart was that Baylor game. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if that UCF team had confidence, that's just kind of that moment where you're like, yeah. You know, 35 to 7 at I, one point. I yes. don't even know how, you, to be honest, I don't know how you recover as a team. And Baylor sucks, by the way. That's what I mean. How do you recover as a team and feel good about yourself going the rest of the way? I'm not saying you give up, no. but my goodness. I mean, doing that, and that was kind of my death knell for that team this year. It's like, nope, they, they're, they're not ready for the big time. Well, I watched Kansas do nothing but hand off up the middle against them and just pounded the hell out of them i mean they, they just don't have the bodies yet and that's mm-hmm. not a knock you know you come in to play bigger boy football in the big 12 they're not there yet and uh they uh, well, we're gonna see it in norman saturday yeah and if you look to that game versus kansas i think kansas only threw nine, i think they threw under times. 10 passes nine times, nine times? Yep. yeah so i mean ou's offense should have no trouble with this ucf defense i mean again we've been talking about establishing the run all year i think this is another great <laughs> chance to really establish the run, and I mean, Levy can attack this game wherever he wants. You know, if he wants to air it out with Dylan, I think they're gonna have no problem doing that. But still, I want to, you know, I want to see them start running the ball for a better average. And this is a game where I think you can mix a lot of running backs in and get some good carries from guys. Randy, I think that's what we're gonna see. I think uh, they are really going to work on the run game this weekend. I think this week is gonna be aired out. Okay. After last week or two weeks ago, Dylan Gabriel jumped up those charts in the Heisman race. They're going to get his numbers. It's but you be, can still, you know, you can still get him touchdowns in the red zone. Oh, it's not about touchdowns. It's about total yardage. Let's be real. It's, <laughs> I mean, being honest, the Heisman race is not about, hey, you had 15 touchdowns. It's about, oh, okay, Dylan, that what popped out to the screen besides getting the win last week or yardage, two weeks ago? Yeah. It was the fact he had four third quarterback in Oklahoma history, third most yards combined yards, 398 yards. Baker and Kyler were the only two with more. Those type of numbers, and when it's going to be focused on TV, that's what gets the Heisman voters excited. Do we think Brent and company really, really focus on that, or do they focus on the fact that they know they're in a spot heading towards a Big 12 championship, possibly maybe playoffs, they're going to need a consistent run game? Is that what they practice, or are they focus on getting Dylan the Heisman? I, I think it's both. Okay. I mean, I think they're going to come out and they're going to – hey, let's air it out. Let's get some runs. And I think the run plays are going to be from Dylan. It's going to be that total yardage game. And then you're going to see the running backs maybe in the second half start to, you know, push their way around and start getting their yards and everything like that. Because, to be honest, even talked to the coaches last week. They weren't real concerned about the run game. They they got their carries. They got their yards. They outrushed Texas in the game. You know, that's kind of where they're at right now. I think they feel like what they're doing offensively they're going to continue to do. And almost, I'm to the point where the reason I believe that, we're six games in. 
Yeah. They have changed nothing what they've done in six games. Why do we think they're going to change in game seven? Gus, I mean, they wrinkled it up in the Texas game. But, but yeah, as far as running game, the game yeah, yeah. The, the running game was pretty much the same. I mean, doing a lot of those screens that you refer to for run plays. And then, you know, they did give Walker 15 or so carries. He didn't have a lot of room. But, guys, I mean, he scored when it counted, especially mm-hmm. in the red zone. Yep. Yeah. You know, thinking back to 2000, though, Randy, you'll remember this with Josh Heupel. Uh, Quentin Griffin was serviceable, but th- they didn't have a, a gigantic running game. No. I mean, they used short passes to do what Keyline they needed. Jones. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's, Griffin. They, they did enough in the run game. So, yeah, it's doable. I still think this team needs to consistently run the ball. That's just my opinion. I mean, there are things to work on in the passing game, too, if they choose to air it out. Because, guys, I mean, losing Angel Anthony is a hurt. And mm-hmm. you're going to have to find guys to replace that, whether it be Nick Anderson, whether it be, you know, the slots like Freeman or Petaway. Mm-hmm. Who knows who it's going to be right now, but guys, there's things to work on in the running game as there is the passing game. I mean, Dylan's got to figure out who that second guy behind Farouk is now. That, And I know he loves to spread it out in this offense, but still, losing a possession guy like Anthony, who I thought Anthony's routes all year were so yes. solid. Yeah. I thought he was a very good just getting to the first down marker, getting catches like that. He wasn't as good in the deep game as I thought, but guys, he was really valuable in those third and 10, you know, second and seven, just getting to the sticks and getting those first downs. So I want to see who Dylan targets this week for situations like that when they need to pick up seven yards for a first down in a big spot. And I'll say this, that's why I go back to more throwing game, because I think they know what the running game is, right, wrong, or indifferent. This staff knows where the running game is. They know what they're going to do, whether it's great or not. That's what they're going to do. It's more about figuring out, I think, this week against a UCF team at home, okay, who wants to step up and, be, and take those numbers of Anthony? I think Jaden Gibson's your downfield threat. I do if, too. if a guy's not grabbing his arm when he yeah. goes up to catch him. Him and Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson's too. Nick really Anderson's a stud, team. guys. He's yeah. an NFL I think Nick Anderson receiver. could be a possession guy, too. I don't think he's just a touchdown no, catcher, man. No, no, I, I just... really think he can fill into that Anthony role and be your possession guy at times. No doubt. Is he still going to catch touchdowns? Sure, but. Man, I really think Ant- or Anderson can be that second option in this offense. No that doubt. Wide yeah. out. He's, he's just caught the touchdowns because they had other guys to, to fulfill mm-hmm. that up until now. But yeah. I think you'll see him in a dual role now. And I, I, to me, that's my opinion. Anderson is your number two guy yeah. you know, coming into this. I think that Gibson will get some looks. Uh, the deep ball, Farouk, you know, he, he can fly. Don't forget uh, about Thompson. Brennan. Yeah, Texas I mean, transfer, had a 60-yard catch for Iowa State, I believe. Then didn't, didn't, didn't see the field against Texas. Yeah, I kind of wonder if there's emotions in that. I wonder if the coaching staff thought better of it. Let's, it might let's be. just might be. wait because he played the week before. They showed it on film right. and never put him out there. It's interesting. Do we have an update on Marcus Major, boys? I haven't heard anything. I have week. not heard anything either. He hurt his shoulder, and I, I did find that out. I haven't heard if he's going to play, if he's fully healthy, cleared, what. But a lot of things to uh, to keep an eye on. But uh, you guys got anything else before we wrap this up? No, I think it's going to be a fun week. I'm ready for these last six weeks of the regular season because I'm not too concerned about your Oklahomas and your Texas. It's more about fine-tuning things and staying healthy. Yeah, in, in, in a league that is now better without Oklahoma and Texas. You heard it right here on the DNR Ooh. College Football Report. Through 107.7, the franchise, Mr. Andy Heights, Reeves Mitchell, Dave Meyer, brought to you by Hurley RV, 8606 North I-35 Service Road. Sales manager Michael Day, uh, run by and see him. He's got anything you're looking for in the world of RVs, toy haulers, and much more. That's going to do it for this edition. We will uh, talk to you guys down the road.